It's Tuesday, November 12th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. A potential chemical of concern has emerged from the outbreak of vaping-related lung illnesses. The CDC has identified vitamin E acetate as the potential culprit after finding it in the lung fluid of 29 samples from across 10 states. Vitamin E acetate can be grease-like or sticky and can cling to lung tissue. Emma Ackerman, reporter for Vice News, joins us for the latest. Next, there's an anti-California sentiment growing in Boise, Idaho. Californians are leaving the state because of high taxes and housing affordability and settling in in places like Boise. But as Boise is experiencing a growth spurt, they are angry at Californians for pushing home prices higher, adding to traffic, and limiting opportunities for locals. Maria Laganga, reporter for the LA Times, joins us for why there is so much hostility. Finally, the struggle is real for some men to grow a beard. And in order for some guys to get that perfect look, they are faking it with beard sprays, beard transplants, and even vitamin-infused gummies that are supposed to promote hair growth. Ray Smith, style reporter for the Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Vitamin E acetate. It's this really seemingly innocent chemical. You've probably like heard about it in your skincare and supplements, but when heated up, it can essentially become like grease and coat the lungs. It can become quite hot and make people sick. Joining us now is Emma Ackerman, reporter for Vice News. Thanks for joining us, Emma. Hey, thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about this mysterious vaping-related illness that has sickened more than 2,000 people across the country. I think we've had 39 deaths. It's been a big problem, and it's just remained a huge mystery as exactly to what's causing all these lung illnesses. The CDC has narrowed it down a little bit more. I think they called it a potential chemical of concern is this vitamin E acetate, which we have heard about before. Emma, tell us a little bit about what the CDC has found out. So Friday, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention came out and said that this is essentially a clue. They're not calling it a cause yet, especially since they've only tested 29 cases of lung fluid among these patients. But essentially, it's the only thing that they found in common among these 29 patients is this vitamin E acetate. It's this really seemingly innocent chemical. You've probably like heard about it in your skincare and supplements. But when heated up, it can essentially become like grease and coat the lungs. It can become quite hot and make people sick. But again, there could be other chemicals that could be causing these illnesses as well. This is just notable because this is the first time the CDC has come out and said that there's been any potential chemical of concern. Let's set the profile up of who is getting sick. They say that about 70% of the people with these lung ailments are male. 79% Mm -hmm. of them are younger than 35 and 86% of them say that they have vaped THC. And that's really where they think the problem is, is in this kind of illicit vaping market. Basically, they're using this vitamin E acetate to fill out whatever the vaping liquid that they're using is so they can make a little bit more money off of it. To be clear, it's totally unknown whether or not people who are actually vaping these products know whether that vitamin E acetate is in their vaping fluid or not. The CDC has recommended that people stop vaping, particularly THC products that come off the street for this exact reason. It's a really nebulous market. You don't know what you're getting. There are so many different products and we don't know who's making them, where they come from, and they're obviously not regulated. So the products that contain vitamin E acetate and all likelihood probably came from these street vendors. And really what this outbreak has done is kind of 
reveal this existence of this huge unregulated shadowy marketplace for these bootleg vaping products. And there's been arrests that have been made. I remember there was a couple of guys that got arrested for just having a huge operation. I think it was like in New York or New Jersey. So this is kind of just shedding light on all of that. I know most of the cases have to do with people that are vaping THC products, but what about the traditional nicotine vapes? Are people still getting sick from that? It's hard to tell in these instances because the CDC does say that people who report these very severe lung illnesses often have vaped both THC and nicotine products at the same time. So it's hard to discern, but so far the CDC has said that it believes the THC products are the bigger cause for concern. And again, the nicotine products tend to be more regulated. You're often buying them from people who can be held liable and traced back to these products. They're less likely to make you sick with the same severity that we've been seeing with the THC-related illnesses. But that's not to say that nicotine-related illnesses don't exist. You know, in the meantime, there's been a lot of dust-up on that because I guess that's the industry you can regulate a little more easily than these illicit kind of shadowy industries. Jewel Labs, I think they said that they're going to stop selling mint flavored pods. The Trump administration is working on something. Uh, I think they said they're going to have a proposal to protect the youth, maybe raise the age limit for people that can buy e-cigarettes. So that is still a major focus of what's going on, even though most of these illnesses could be coming from THC. Any one of these cases, when somebody gets sick or worse yet, if people die, people are going to want to see somebody held accountable. And whatever somebody may think of it, the regulated nicotine industry and the smoking industry is something that people can point to and say, maybe we could add more rules to this to make sure that people, especially kids and youth, aren't smoking or vaping in the first place. But again, Juul hasn't been accused of being connected to these particular severe illnesses. Did the CDC say what next steps they might be uh, exploring to continue into all this research? Not particularly, but we do know how the CDC tends to carry out these investigations, and they are really good at carrying out these investigations. It's probably going to take more time still. Again, they've only sampled 29 people or the lung fluid of 29 people, and we've seen more than 2,000 people get sick. So they've got a lot of ground to cover, and they're certainly going to be working with their other health partners and other states and communities to collect more fluid to see what products those people are vaping and to see if they can trace that back to any particular vendors. Emma Ackerman, reporter for Vice News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. California's moving in, not a big deal. But this is an invasion. And they've driven up home prices so high, locals can't afford to live here anymore. Uh, There's very little chance of our children at the wages Boise pays right now to live here. Joining us now is Maria Laganga, reporter for the LA Times. Thanks for joining us, Maria. My pleasure. We've heard a lot of stories about Californians leaving the state to go to various other places really all across the country. A lot of reasons why some Californians may be leaving are because of high taxes, the lack of affordable housing. One place in particular that Californians are going to is Boise, Idaho. It might not be the top destination for Californians leaving the state, but it is one of the places that they are going to. And it's kind of fueled this backlash in Boise there against Californians. Maria, tell us a little bit about what's going on. Well, for starters, you have to have some pronunciation lessons. It's Boise, 
B O Y S E E is how you pronounce it. Boise, That's all right. Tell. Yes. <laughs> I would already be failing if I if I moved out there. Oh my goodness! And remember, you have got to change your license plates really fast. It's an interesting place because it's incredibly beautiful, and people are generally very friendly. But it can be a tough place to be a newcomer. It has had onslaughts of Californians for decades. And it's a place that when the economy is good, it bursts with construction and new people and jobs and things like that. And when the economy is bad, it's one of the first places to tank and one of the last places to come back. So when new people come here, they find prices here for homes to be amazingly low by California standards. The median home price recently was $349,000 and change. And that is one of the record highs for Ada County, which is where Boise is located. But to a Californian, you're thinking like, I would love to get a house quoted at that price. When people move here from California, if you sell a house in California and come here, you can buy a Boise house with cash. And you don't need to get comps, which means that you don't have to have a mortgage appraiser say, okay, we think your house is worth this. You can buy it for whatever you decide you want to pay. So that has caused home prices to go up. And the problem is, if someone comes here from California, they've had a California job, say they're retiring, and they have this pot of money from selling their house, they don't have to worry about the low median wages here. I mean, the minimum wage here is $7.25 an hour. If you make that, you can't even afford to live here. So it's very difficult. One of the people that you spoke to for the article really kind of sums it up perfectly. Newcomers are moving here for a better quality of life. The very thing they're leaving in wherever they're coming from, they're bringing to Boise. They feel like they're losing those little bits of what made their town great. But the question is, why is the hostility directed at Californians specifically? There are a couple things. One is the income inequality, the differential between a California salary and an Idaho salary. People come here, look around, see beautiful places and think, my God, that's cheap. And that is a real difficulty for locals. Another thing is that this is a very red state. Boise is a very blue city, which is like an Austin or a Portland. You know, it's one of those places that belies the rest of the state. But a lot of folks here say, we don't mind taking your money, but we don't want you to bring your politics. And a lot of people say you're coming here to fight traffic, but you're making our traffic worse. So there's a lot of grumbling in that respect. I think a lot of it comes down to, though, the income inequality and fear of change. And I know that the, you know, the housing is a big thing. Boise, they said that they need 1,000 new housing units each year for the next decade just to kind of meet the growth that's happening there. And the residents there, for their part, more than 70% of respondents to a recent survey said that the city is growing too fast. So everybody there particularly is feeling it. One of the state's papers, the Idaho Statesman, which apparently you used to write for them for a little bit, they just had an article in their editorial board that says, when it comes to the growth here, quit blaming Californians. And, you know, they're really pointing to a lot of other things that there is a lot of positives with people coming from out of state. It does invigorate the economy. And they throw some specific examples in there. They said that business is booming for the Idaho Shakespeare Festival and other local arts groups, Bogus Basin, places that were kind of dying out. They have this reinvigorated scene now because of people coming from out of state. 
And the restaurants are so much better than they were when I first came to Idaho several years ago. There's more of them. The food's better. A large part of the article that you wrote has to do with the recent mayoral race that happened there. And one of the candidates specifically was running on the platform of stopping the invasion of people coming from California. But what are local leaders saying to this effect? How are they trying to get a handle on really just the growth that the city is having? Well, it's so interesting because the mayor here, Mayor David Beter, he's going for his fifth term. He's already been mayor here for 16 years through booms and busts. And I think he has lost touch with the electorate because he's done a lot of good things for this city, but he is definitely pro-development. And people look at the changes in the city and think, we want this to slow down. And for the first time in a very long time, there's actually been a lot of competition and also a runoff. He got 30% of the vote. The president of the city council, whose policies are a lot like his, got 45% of the vote. Wow. And a couple of the other candidates were people who, if you voted for them, you would never vote for Dave Beter. So, you know, he has a really, really high bar coming up on December 3rd. And it's because people are angry. Maria Laganga, reporter at the L.A. Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. strong sort of facial hair puts a lot of pressure on guys who want to get that look, but when they try it, they find that it's really harder than it looks. Either it takes a lot of time and they're impatient, or it takes a lot of grooming, or they just have patchy areas that just don't grow evenly, and so it gets frustrating for them. Joining us now is Ray Smith, style reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Ray. Thank you for having me. I saw your article. I loved it. I smiled a few times while reading it. It is uh, very funny to me. But for some men, the struggle to grow a beard is very real. And a lot of men are faking it. There's a lot of products out there. There's a lot of other things that people use. Eyeshadow, a bunch of different things. Ray, tell us a little bit about why men want the perfect beard and then how they're going about getting it. There's a lot of pressure on men just as there's long been on women about their appearance and how they look. And facial hair is a big thing is, I mean, we're exposed to so much of it now in pop culture, whether it be athletes like James Harden or TV stars like the head star of This Is Us, Prince Harry, even. And so there's a lot of pressure to want beards like that. They're sort of like people who are in our popular imagination and they're sort of sex symbols in some way, some of them. There was even studies and and surveys done that said, you know, beards are really sexy right now or men with beards are more (laughs) attractive. So definitely just kind of adding on to all of that. So that adds a lot of pressure. It's almost like if you think about the way that men with perfect abs or bodies sort of put a lot of pressure on just regular guys. So this is similar in terms of this strong sort of facial hair puts a lot of pressure on guys who want to get that look. But when they try it, they find that it's really harder than it looks. Either it takes a lot of time and they're impatient or it takes a lot of grooming or they just have patchy areas that just don't grow evenly. And so it gets frustrating for them. Or even weird colors. I had a few friends that would grow beards and then, you know, they just had like dark brown hair. But, uh, you know, a little red patch of hairs would come out. (laughs) And, you know, some of them embraced it. But if you're trying to get something that's really stylized, really looking good, all of this stuff throws a wrench into it. The stars that I mentioned, they're lucky because they have people on call who can sort of buff and groom and everything like that. But for regular guys, it's humbling because it takes up a lot of time and it turns out that it's not that easy. So what are men turning to to do this? Looking through the article, there's a ton of crazy stuff. There's beard gummies. There's beard growth sprays. There's hair growth 
puddings. And that's just kind of this topical stuff. There's other stuff that we'll get into in a moment also. Some of these that you just mentioned are by startup brands who saw a niche or an underserved market, if you will, of men who sort of needed some help or a boost. So these products promise to promote hair growth. And some of them are updated versions of Rogaine, let's put it frankly, of, of sort of, I don't know how old you are, if you know yeah. what Rogaine is. or Okay. <laughs> totally. Yeah, the active ingredient that yeah. uses minoxidil. Exactly. Yeah. And so some of these are just plays on that where it's sort of meant to facilitate hair growth. And a lot of them are not, at least not yet, FDA approved. So people sort of have to take precautions. But there's some men who've told me that they tried these things, they spent money on these things, they've ordered them online and they, they think it works. Some of them have gotten recommendations from their barbers on some of these products. But yeah, there's definitely a market out there. I think brands, even Procter & Gamble, introduced a whole sort of beard maintenance and beard management product line. And it's a recognition that not only that men want to have beards, but that they need help sort of maintaining them and growing them. You mentioned Procter & Gamble. They had an $8 billion write-down that they said was due to lower shaving frequency. So they are taking <laughs> note. And from the article, too, I mean, YouTube says that 2018 was the largest year to date for uploads of videos related to beards or beard grooming. But there are some extremes that happen in this where people are doing either beard transplants or even spray on human hair fibers. Tell us about that. You're right. The word extreme is pretty apt for what you're describing because they're obviously not over the counter, but they can get expensive, especially when you're talking about something like a beard transplant. So I wouldn't say it's the last resort for men, but I think it's just something that there are people who, I guess, feel like they've tried everything else and nothing else is working or they have sort of hereditary issues that prevent hair from growing in certain places and they think that's what's going to get them there. For some, it's just that they see it as a sort of quicker way, meaning that instead of waiting for it to grow in and being impatient with it, they can go to a doctor or try one of these hair fiber, almost like a woman's weave, if you will. Yeah and get sort of enhancements, almost like surgical or otherwise enhancements. And the way they justify it is, I'm unhappy with my appearance. And if I have the money or if I have the means, just like a woman might, why can't men? I mean, obviously these are extreme things, but let's say on the lower scale, everyday type of products, how much are guys spending on this stuff? In the article, there was somebody who was quoted saying that they would spend $400 on some products. Yes, and I think some of these products are a little more than you would pay for like yeah. drugstore okay. stuff. And so that's where it starts to add up. And especially if you're doing sort of trial and error, if you're trying several things and then you're switching to try something else, the cost can really add up. But I think what's also happening is that we live in a world now where everybody's sharing on social media and online. So what's happening is there are all these support groups. And I know that seems like a strange word to use, but that, that's what they are. <laughs> right. or, or, or even forums yeah. where men are openly talking about this struggles with growing beards when they feel comfortable swapping tips and so a guy might get a tip for this product and then go on another forum and say no I tried this and that that doesn't work and so you end up switching and spending more so all this combined the sharing and the tip giving and somebody finding something better or recommending something better it, it just can all add up. <laughs> I just want to end with my favorite sentence of the entire article you were mentioning a certain product and they're called beard struggle but the sentence goes after using Beard Struggle products including shampoo, night liquid, elixir, scruff balm, and Viking Savage Beard Brush, he thinks his beard is getting there. <laughs> so good for whoever that was right there. Ray Smith, style reporter at the Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, 
and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.